Hi there, it's Ed here with a short message before we start the pod this week. Did you know that our most informed investors get insights, articles and investment ideas from Tom, me and the team sent directly to them via email and it is completely free. You can join them. Just subscribe at fidelity.co.uk slash newsletters. Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, how are markets and investors doing at the halfway point of 2023? In all sorts of ways, expectations have been defied this year. Why is that and what comes next? That's the focus today. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. We have now passed the halfway point of 2023 and the year so far has not gone entirely to script. Many of the predictions for how markets would behave this year have been upended. Sometimes that's worked for investors and sometimes it hasn't. Why have markets confounded expectations in 2023? And what has the year held for investors as we round the halfway point? To answer all of that, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Tom, welcome along. Um, We're going to look today at various different parts of the investing world to see where things have gone to script and where they haven't. Um, But why don't we start with an overview of how investors have done so far this year as compared to the expectations at the start of the year. 2022 was pretty dismal, wasn't it, overall? Um, So how was sentiment generally as 2023 got underway? Yeah, it's been a bit of a mixed bag uh, this year, but I'd say uh, it's been a positive mixed bag, if you like. So, I mean, the the worst performers have, have basically gone sideways and the best performers have done extremely well so if you Mm. average it out it's actually been a pretty uh, strong six-month period for investors Uh, if you roll back to the beginning of the year I think that process had already started because yes 2022 was uh, a very trying year for for investors we talked about it a lot both bonds and shares uh, fell uh, in tandem but by the time you got to the end of the year the market had been rising for a couple of months yes. so I think the I think the um, the outlook was was broadly positive uh, at the beginning of the year and there have been lots of ups and downs uh, uh, along the way yeah indeed um, so let's move to some of the ways in which markets have defied expectations and where they've conformed to them. Um, We may as well start with the world's biggest stock market, the US, not least, of course, because we're recording today on the 4th of July, Mm. uh, which I just realised before we came in. Um, It did suffer big losses, didn't it, uh, last year? What was the prognosis for US shares at the start of the year? Yeah, so uh, the US bore the brunt of the sell-off last year, uh, and and that was largely because the the principal driver of wheat markets last year uh, was interest rates rising more quickly than expected, and in particular US interest rates rising more quickly than expected. So I think the prognosis at the beginning of the year was that we were heading towards a peak in interest rates. So we started the year reasonably optimistic about the outlook for 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 interest rates but it didn't take long i'd say within a month or six weeks um the federal reserve was already sending out messages to the market that um they were in it for the long haul that interest rates were going to rise as as high as they needed to rise to get on top of inflation and that's when i said when there have been some ups and downs in the markets that's that's really it's that ebb and flow of expectations about interest rates which has caused that yeah and and sort of even underneath that there's been 
um, news around, say, U.S. jobs that has come come in more, or the labour market in the U.S. has been stronger maybe than than people thought. That's potentially inflationary, so rates have to stay higher. So the 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 dynamic perhaps is that inflation is a little stickier and rates have to be higher for longer and yet and yet and yet absolutely that that is the precisely the backdrop which you would expect to be a negative for growth focused shares which is what the US specializes in um when interest rates rise the present day value of tomorrow's profits if you like uh, diminishes, so you would have thought that that would not be mm. good news for the growthier parts of the U.S. market. In practice, it's precisely that part of the market which has done so well. Yeah. The Nasdaq index, which is chock full of um, technology uh, stocks, the likes of um, Apple, um, Nvidia, Microsoft, um, the the Nasdaq is up by more than thirty yeah. percent in just six months. It's quite difficult to generalise about the U.S. market because it's it's uh, there's a lot of big divergence between the performance of those big tech stocks and everything else. If you look at an equal weighted index of U.S. stocks, it's actually up by you know a handful of percent. Mm. The S&P 500 is up by about 15% over that period. But as I say, the Nasdaq is up by 30%. Yeah, I mean, I, I look back before we, we came into to record today to look at some of the predictions, right? Um, which is always <laughs> uh, a worrying um, sort of thing to go back and do. There were lots of predictions of, you know, volatility, things will be up and down. Of course, that kind of caveating that you mm. always get. But there definitely were um, predictions for the US to, to have a, a, a pretty tough time. Uh, th- this year for, uh, you know, um, maybe recession in the US. And they've they've been defied, haven't they? I think there was a whole cocktail of things that people were worried about. Um, you know, one was the prospect of recession. Two was the prospect that interest rates had further to go. Mm. Um, and three was valuations. The US was the most expensive market at the beginning of the year. And yet it has proved to be uh, the strongest performer so far. And, and there are questions then, just before we move on to other markets, but there are questions, aren't there, about the sustainability of this bounce for for the biggest US companies, certainly. We've spoken about NVIDIA in particular in the past. Um, so is it is it the case that the predictions at the start of this year were, were just simply wrong in their analysis, they were wrong-headed, or is it that actually the market's being a bit irrational when it comes to certain big companies? Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a bit of all of that actually. I mean, I I do think it, it's it's fair to say that the market uh, looks slightly irrational at the moment. I think that the valuation of some of these stocks, which has which has been driven in large part by a lot of excitement about uh, the prospects and the outlook for artificial. Uh, yeah. intelligence, yeah. Uh, which is an unproven and unknown um, uh, development, technological uh, development. And I think that as periodically happens, investors have got very excited about it. And they've slightly forgotten, uh, you know, the sort of boring details like valuations along the mm-hmm. way. Okay, okay. Well, let's move on then, Tom. Um, another big expectation at the start of this year was around China. Um, China took a lot longer, didn't it, to come out of the pandemic. It was sort of forgotten about in the rest of the world last mm-hmm. year, but it was very much uh, a present and here and now thing in China. And it had a zero approach or a zero tolerance approach to the, the pandemic. 
but that was changing, wasn't it, at the start of the year? And that was expected to do wonders for the Chinese economy and for Chinese companies. So mm. what's happened? It's really the opposite story to, to, to the American story. At the beginning of the year, there was a lot of excitement about uh, China. Um, we had already moved out of uh, the COVID uh, era in, mm-hmm. in China unexpectedly. Um, uh, the, uh, the president, Xi Jinping, essentially sort of called time on that zero COVID policy. And so the expectation was that um, just as in the, the US and Britain, as we came out of the pandemic, there was a lot of uh, what's been termed revenge spending. So people have been locked up for a long time. Mm. They've been able to save money and suddenly, you know, they're, they're let out children in a sweet shop and they spend lots of money. Um, that was the expectation in China. It just hasn't happened. It's almost as if um, the Chinese have been scarred by their very long and traumatic experience um, with COVID. And they're just not seemingly not interested in in spending. So that has really upset expectations because uh, the Chinese market moved ahead pretty sharply um, uh, on those forecasts. Uh, And of course, when it didn't really happen or when it was showing signs of not happening, the market has fallen back. And since its peak in January, the Chinese market is actually down by 20%. So it's it's technically in bear market territory. Yeah. Complete contrast to what's happened with the Nasdaq. Yeah, indeed. And and, and we've seen in China in the past that, that the government has stood ready, hasn't it, to stimulate growth when it's needed to, particularly through building things. Um, that's happened an awful lot. It doesn't seem to have played out that way this time, does it? No, I mean, more or less since the financial crisis, the, the, the Chinese government has, has always stepped in and provided stimulus, provided, you know, um, fiscal easing, you know, tax breaks uh, to promote, for example, you mentioned it, the property market. And I think that they've got to the position now, especially with the property market, where they just can't afford to to throw any more money at it. And they don't want to throw any more no. money at it and, because it causes and, problems. Down and the there's track. high levels of indebtedness as well. And, and that potentially, and that might be a reason why households aren't spending as much as well, because they're aware of the potential for, for debt to blow up. Yeah. And the property market has always been the underpinning of the Chinese economy. It accounts for, you know, a very indirectly and directly accounts for a big portion of the, of, of the Chinese economy. So the unwillingness to, to keep promoting the property market is, I think, at the back of many uh, investors and consumers' minds in China. And and just finally, before we move on, um, there's always a geopolitical aspect uh, to, to China and relations between uh, the two biggest economies, China and the US. It's hard to translate that, isn't it, in, in terms of growth and certainly the stock market. But it's probably fair to say that unease about that relationship has continued into this year when perhaps there was a hope at least that things might begin to warm up in terms of relations. Yeah I think if anything it's probably intensified I think as we came into the year I think that that the hope was that maybe uh, the relationship uh, would improve Uh, but then we had that that spy balloon that was was shot down and various other factors have have uh, combined over the last six months to to really uh, 
provide a deteriorating backdrop in terms of the geopolitics. Okay, well, let's move on to, Tom, uh, to matters closer to home and in the UK, of course. Uh, Now, compared to other markets, um, last year, 2022, was, was, well, it's hard to say it was a great year for for UK shares, but it was much better in the UK than it was in other markets. We've spoken about the falls in the US. Um, Basically, uh, the UK market was flat, wasn't it, in 2022? Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, it still entered this year looking pretty undervalued, and that led to lots of predictions that uh, the UK was a pretty good place to be. Um, What's happened since then? Yeah, so the UK market basically went sideways last year and in the context of a sharply falling stock market, particularly in the US, um, uh, flat looked pretty commendable. Mm. Um, The the UK was one of the better performing uh, stock markets last year. It's actually continued along the same path. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's basically gone sideways for the last six months. With a bit of, you know, bit of volatility in in between. uh, Along the way. Um, But basically gone sideways. I think it's up 1% for, for, for the six months. And now in the context of a very strong US market and other markets, which have also uh, done well, uh, it now looks a bit of a laggard. And, you know, I think I think there are various reasons for that. One is that the the composition of the FTSE 100 is very geared towards energy uh, stocks, oil and gas, commodities, things which actually looked very uh, attractive last year in the wake of the invasion of uh, Ukraine don't look so uh, attractive now as the oil price is falling, commodity right. prices are falling. So actually that's holding the, the the UK market back. And at the same time, I think the sentiment about the UK economy is, is not very good because of the persistency, the stickiness of inflation in the UK in particular. Yeah, there's lots to talk about here, isn't there? The, the UK, uh, on, on the earnings side, you're absolutely right. The, the, I mean, the oil price is a lot lower. That's going to have a very direct... Um, Impacts on the forecast for, say, all company earnings, they're a huge part of the index. Um, so, yes, that's that's going to fall away. That's going to undermine confidence. Actually, I, I was looking at something just recently um, comparing the largest companies in the UK versus the smallest companies. And actually, whilst valuations are quite similar, earnings growth for those smaller companies is forecast to be much better mm. than those big companies. And things like the oil prices mm. is a big part of that mm. picture. And another big part of that actually is the currency because right. um, uh, the currency has strengthened. The pound is stronger than it was. Actually, that's a disadvantage for those big overseas yeah. earners like the oil companies because they earn their um, profits in dollars. And when those are translated into a strong pound, uh, that that's a that's an unfavourable uh, comparison. So that's one of the reasons why earnings look better for the smaller companies, the more domestically focused companies. And and, uh, and just at the economic level, um, yeah, I mean the UK is beginning to look like a bit of an outlier, isn't it? And not in a good way when it comes to inflation. It's being high, and let's not forget inflation was um, well, and rates were higher in the US than they they have been here. But inflation now in the UK looks like it's coming down very, very, very slowly versus the rest of the world. Rates, expectations of rates are moving higher and higher and higher, aren't they? And that feels like there's going to be a big economic crunch at some point. Yes, I mean, where that's really showing up, uh, of course, is in the mortgage market. I mean, you know, we're seeing two year fixed rate mortgages of more than six percent now. 
Um, I mean, that is that is bound to have a really negative impact on the housing market. And the housing market is a key driver of the UK economy as a whole. Yeah. OK, well, um, finally, then, Tom, let's clear up some of the uh, other markets and, and see how they've done this year versus their expectations. We've got we've got Japan and we've got Europe. We've actually spoken about both these markets um, on the podcast in the past. They've had really good runs, actually a little bit beyond just this year, but they've but they've both done very well. Um, perhaps that's something of a surprise, given that they're both markets, uh, maybe with histories of, of systemic problems, and they've not been, uh, they haven't always uh, sort of fulfilled their promise to investors. No, that's that's true. Uh, they both have done well this year. They're slightly different. I mean, Europe uh, did very well until the, the, the spring, and, and investor interest in Europe is slightly moderated not the case in Japan where uh, uh, interest is very strong mm. um, and I, I think Japan is the more interesting of those two two markets um, because there are short-term cyclical reasons why Japan should be doing well it's it's also like China come out of uh, COVID relatively recently and so things are picking up on the domestic consumption front tourism uh, for example but there are longer term more sort of structural reasons why Japan looks very uh, attractive in particular companies are really being encouraged to to put their shareholders first and to really drive returns on uh, investment and returns for shareholders and we're seeing much higher dividends for example being paid share buybacks so and and foreign investors overseas investors are really picking up on this uh, opportunity and, and money is starting to 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 pour into uh, Japan. So I think of those two, Japan does look very interesting. Okay, okay. Well, finally, then for today, Tom, what about the rest of, of this year? Um, I want to talk really in terms of the expectations. That's what we're talking about today. What are the expectations for the for the rest of the year in terms of global markets and individual markets, if you want? Yes, I mean, I think there are a few key considerations. I think, you know, whether we go into recession is a is a key consideration and, and the jury is out on that, mm -hmm. uh, frankly. And feeding off that, of course, is what happens to interest rates. But and also, you know, the, the one feeds off the other and vice versa, yeah. because if interest rates stay too high, too persistently high, uh, then that is likely to push us towards um, recession. Inflation, of course, is a factor there. All of these things are, are intimately connected. And the output of all of that is what happens to corporate profits and, and, and earnings. And again, the expectations are reasonably um, sanguine about that, that, that there'll be a, a slight downturn in earnings this year, but that next year we'll see a big pickup. And I think that is really, you know, if you had to put your finger on what's the key driver of markets at the moment, it is that optimism that actually we are going to pull through this. We're going to avoid a severe recession um, and the earnings will pick up uh, next year and that will justify the higher earnings. So I think that's where we stand at the half year point. And, and it's all about inflation, right? It's, I mean, if that stays, if that stays high, I mean, that, a recession feels like a, the, the lesser of two evils, right? You, that you would take a recession rather than years and years and years of very high inflation that's going to really hurt um savings all sorts of, you know a general financial security in lots and lots and lots of ways so th this year you know signs of or the lack of signs of inflation coming down and monetary policy working that's really the central 
That is the central question, yeah. And everyone understands that. The central banks understand it. They understand the crucial importance of getting on top of inflation. And that, of course, is the worry here in the UK, is that the rest of the world seems to be making more progress mm. in, in, in getting inflation down um, than, than we are. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That is the key question for investors. Okay, well, on that slightly pessimistic note, um, we will leave it there. That is all the time we have for now, Tom. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Ed. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.